and we're here here we are sorry for the slightly delay everybody we were um, having a little struggle with microphones and cameras today but we've we've made we've made it we're here we made it on, on online so i'd like to introduce you to my guest today who is the wonderful anthony penrose son of sir roland penrose and um and the amazing lee miller hi anthony hello and i admire your fortitude because we had to struggle there a bit didn't we it <laughs> with was the all technology quite bewildering. <laughs> this is all quite a bewildering time we've done quite a lot of talking over the last seven or eight weeks about how all this new um, technology and how we're having to master it can be quite bewildering and can be quite testing and can make us feel quite anxious. And um, the anxiety is something that, you know, we're having to manage and it's all in our mindset. And we've got an amazing amount of people joining us today. And hopefully we're also live streaming onto Facebook. We'll be able to see that also. And if people have got questions on Facebook, then um, please pop them up there. And as soon as I can see that we're um, we're live, then I'll check over there. But anyone who's watching us on Crowdcast, at the bottom there is an ask questions area. And we'd be really grateful if you pop your questions in there. And then at the end, we will ask the questions. And if you want to vote on other people's questions, that's also fine to, um, and that bring them to the further to the top of the list. So if there's a question that's already in there that you think that's great, I'd really like that then vote on it and that one will come up first for us to answer but that's the best way so we have um we'll we'll talk for about half an hour or so and then um we'll go over to question and answer and i'll also keep an eye on the <coughs> facebook live stream so that um if people post any questions up there i'll also be able to um bring those across and have a look we were struggling we struggled for the last few weeks on the um facebook live stream because here in battle we've had quite a lot of issues with broadband but i'm pleased to say that that is now fixed and we've got super upload and super download and um we are actually now live streaming onto facebook which is very pleasing so if you have questions on there i can hear myself so i'm going to turn that off if you have questions on on facebook hello everybody who's watching us live on facebook pop your questions in there and i would do my absolute best to um, get them into the Q&A at the end. So, as you know, um, everyone is watching and who's been watching for over the last few seven weeks or so, we try and have a little bit of a focus on these sessions and having thought about it and thought about some of the questions I have for Anthony because I've known Anthony for quite a while now and I've interviewed him and I've organized exhibitions with him and I've you know we've had a great time haven't we over the years um working on your um with your mum's collection that um I've still got some questions and uh, which is which is great and I, I was thinking what what do they center around and they really centered around the whole notion of what are our goals? What are our aspirations? I know last week and the week before I was talking about this long held aspiration to still do a PhD. And I'm pleased to say I've submitted it. Anthony gave me a wonderful reference. Thank you very much. And my academic advisor, when I did my master's, gave me a, a, has, is going to give me a reference as well. And they've, they've acknowledged that they've received it. So we're in the process. I'm just winning because I've actually put it in, whether I get it or not kind of is irrelevant now because I, you know, the whole process was to actually apply. So I'm chuffed with myself. So 
goals are really essential in that because they they set some aspiration in the future that we can work towards they provide us with a motivation and last week we talked about checklists and checklists are great for motivation but goals are like a bigger a bigger version of a checklist because they give us one thing or two things that we're kind of aiming at and as i say mine has been um the phd and um when i was doing some research for um chatting to anthony today i realized um bizarrely with this connection with anthony um and his book the boy um who bit picasso that's correct isn't it the boy who bit picasso that Picasso has a little quote about goals as well. He says, our goals can only be reached through a vehicle of a plan in which we must fervently believe and upon which we must vigorously act. There is no other route to success in Pablo Picasso's words, which kind of um, backs up the statement of Benjamin Franklin that we all know, which is by failing to prepare, you are preparing to fail. Um, so what is the science behind goal setting? And it's a, the theory of goal setting was um, established by um, two guys called Locke and Latham. And um, back in like 2002, they did quite a lot of research into goal setting. And um, they realized that um, actually to have conscious goals affects our actions and makes us purposeful. And I think, I, yeah, I can I can get on board with that. I think if I have a conscious goal, something that I have engaged with and, and as as um, Picasso said, I fervently believe in, then I will I will keep coming back to it and it will drive me forward. And why do some people perform better in achieving their goals than others? Well, that's all down to that. Um, that whole thing to do with fervently believing in it and the motivation as the dopamine kicks in as we get little ways. So that's why I'm saying I'm already a winner because I've already applied for my PhD. So I'm already on the way to my goal. So I'm already a winner. And um, and so it's given me a little shot of dopamine, which means that I'm now, you know, excited to kind of carry on. So just some of the principles and I won't go on too much about this because we want to spend most of our time talking to Anthony. Um, but the principles of goal setting are the commitment as identified by um, Picasso. Um, clarity, how specific you are in your goal. The challenge, the degree of difficulty. Make it quite difficult, otherwise, so um, you, you won't be driven on. It won't be challenging enough. The complexity, and that's when we do SMART goals and we say it has to be... Um, time scale relevant and and then have an area of feedback so especially for artists goal setting is associated with getting into flow state and that's what we're all driving to do isn't it get into the state of flow i struggle with that sometimes because you can probably see a little cat down there and there's a dog and they interrupt me and then the children come along and interrupt me so um i've done a little blog post about goal setting and i'll pop that up after we've had this chat because I think um, it links in really well with some of the questions that I still have for Anthony, which all relate really around his motivation, his personal motivation and his goals. So if you could um, maybe set the scene for us, Anthony, maybe set the scene of um, 
why you're doing what you're doing and how you happen to be the director of the Lee Miller archive. And then I'll dip in with my specific questions as and when, if you don't answer them, you might answer them as you go along. So if you don't mind setting the scene for us of how it happened, how you came to this point, that'd be lovely. Sorry, phone's trying to Yeah, thank you. It's an interesting question because that is a very imprecise answer since it was all by accident. I was bumbling along quite happily being a dairy farmer, milking cows and doing everything that's associated with all of that and enjoying it and having a lovely life. And then one day, my late wife, Susanna, discovered in the attic of our old farmhouse, farmhouse where I grew up, this stash of photographs. And when she showed them to me, I didn't quite realize it at the time, but it was a life changing moment because here was material that completely redefined for me this person who I had known as my mother, who it turned out I hadn't known at all. Um, she had been greatly affected with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder and with, um, with, uh, with um, sorry, the cracking game, uh, with alcoholism, alcohol abuse, and it had been a very difficult life for her uh, and for me as her child. So I kind of dismissed her, written her off, useless drunk. And what happened was that, um, sorry, can you hear that buzzing noise? No, no, we're, no. we're okay. okay. We're good. It's just really annoying. Me. Anyway, what happened was that um, Susanna and I decided that this was amazing stuff because we saw it. First of all, we didn't know whose it was. There were pictures of battles, there were pictures of all kinds of stuff happening. We hadn't a clue, and then we realized that it was Lee Miller's. Then we realized that we uh, had on our hands a complete stash of her lifetime work, because it started in Paris, it went right through her studio in New York, uh, right through her time at Vogue, and way on to times when I kind of almost remembered myself, like when Picasso visited Farley Farm and that kind of stuff. So we settled down, and I can't say that I formulated a goal consciously, mm. but I did, because I wanted this material to be ordered, I wanted it to be accessible, I wanted it to be cogent and also conserved so that it would be preserved for future. And that unconsciously was the goal. We settled down and overnight we both became photographic archivists and curators. Luckily, because of my father's connection in the art world, we had a lot of people who were very kind and very helpful and advising of us. They were absolutely brilliant. Uh, we couldn't have done it without them. And they helped us overcome the technical problems because actually looking after a large collection of photographs is extremely difficult. Photographs are really touchy. They just spend their lives looking about find, trying to find the next way of self-destructing. And so we had to find all of that. So one by one, little goals popped up. How do we conserve this stuff? How do we look after it? How do we care for it? And then how do we get this material more widely known? And so little by little, this developed. Then we had the ambition of making the Lee Miller archive. 
And then we had the ambition of making exhibitions of her work. And then in the middle of that, and what was actually causative for much that followed, I was invited to write a biography. This was something like being dropped at the base of Everest without any equipment and told to climb it by the morning. Because I had been a writer and a photojournalist. I had been the overseas correspondent for Farmer's Weekly magazine. Um, <laughs> and this was the only preparation I got. And it was an incredible act of faith on behalf of Thames and Hudson, the publishers, that they took me on. I had a most brilliant editor. And what I had to do was to work out a kind of plan. Here's Picasso's plan coming up. Mm. I knew what I wanted to achieve. So first of all, I went off and researched and I asked questions and I traveled and I met everybody who I could possibly think of that would add material. And I wrote it all down and I formulated this picture of Lee Miller and a timeline and dates and stuff like that. Then I had some really revelatory experiences, which put it all into perspective. And then I came back here and literally sat down and started to write. Now, you know, look, I'm a farming bloke. I'm an active sort of guy. So crouched over a word processor day after day after day was one of the hardest, toughest things I've ever done. I heard what you said about the cat and the dog <laughs> and the children and everything like that. The endless, endless distractions. But somehow I got through. I developed a technique. We used to put the children to bed and then I would work way off until the night, about two or three or four o'clock in the morning sometimes. Had that wonderful peace, that quiet, that knowing the phone wasn't going to go. And so we got it. And it came out in the book came out in nineteen eighty five and really everything began rolling since then. That's amazing. I mean, I was just making notes as I as as we went along, just because you know I love listening to you. But you you fall you do fall into that pattern, and and this happens often when I um, speak to people and interview people. They go, oh, there was no plan, but actually, um, when, especially when I interview artists and I say, so how do you know? Talk to me about your journey, and they go, oh well, I don't really know how I got here. And then the process is always the same. It's repeat, repeat, repeat. I mean, you very much you know you realised at that moment of finding the archive that it was life-changing that was life-changing that told your brain this is life-changing this is going to change the whole way I see my past my present and my future hmm. you see the trigger was I the, the the sentence really for me was I want to know more mm. but then that begs the question how mm. And the how is the need for the plan. Yes. You know? And and the book was the trigger to, to start the plan. Yes. Well, all of the, there were lots of plans, if you like. There were lots of, of goals that overlapped each other. And each often a goal had lots of little goals inside it, like a book has many chapters and a chapter yeah. has many paragraphs. And each one of those is a goal in itself. But the overarching goal that you know, I could never, never forget, never, never lose, and it's still with me now. Is to continue to make Lee internationally known and make her work available. And do you think you had that as part of that 
transformative moment at the beginning of this is life changing? Do you think that perception of I need other people to know this as well was part of that thought process? Um, it was it was not evident that it was life changing until until it had changed. <laughs> <laughs> Looking back. Because yeah. uh, that wasn't part of the objective. That wasn't one of the goals. Mm. But yes, very early on, um, Susanna, my, my late wife, was uh, she wasn't a kind of card-carrying feminist, but she was very, very assertive about the rights of women. Mm. And she wanted people to see, know, and understand um, what Lee had done in the face of the opposition of the men uh, that, who, who were very often getting in her way, very often trying to defeat her, undermine her, sabotage her. Sabotage uh, Lee or sabotage yeah, wife? sabotage Lee. Sabotage. And, and Susanna understood that. And that was, that was like her burning spear, if you like. She mm. wanted people to know Lee for that reason. I wanted them to know about her because of the beauty of her writing and the beauty of her photography. And I thought, this is just too incredibly good to keep to myself. I really want to share this. Mm. You know, it's a bit a bit like my dad discovering Picasso, surrealism, modern art in general. Mm. His passion was to share it, to write books, to make exhibitions. And I guess maybe genetically or something that some of that came through to me because I just love it. Evolution. And other people respond to the world. Yeah, evolutionarily. Evolution that is that a word? Evolution really. Can't really say it. Needs new teeth to say that word. Um, we do obviously, you know, we pick up these things from our from our um, socialization and our upbringing, don't we? And uh, you know, I'm very aware now of uh, some of the um, decisions I make are definitely based on the um, thinking back to how my um, I'm very passionate about. Um, women as you know and the and the fair and right representation of women i don't i like men too i want us all to be equal and i know that is a reflection of i had two very very strong-willed aunts and an incredibly strong-willed mother and they all were fighting to have their voice heard and now i definitely carry that you know i'm carrying that banner on definitely um and i do feel that that kind of came to me genetically And for you, that you know, that's interesting from your perspective of you know um, your wife seeing that and wanting. Mm. Yes, it, it came to me by association, but they were mm. obviously ideals that I aspired to straight away. Mm. Yes. Yeah, and Roland's obviously um, founding the ICA. Um, mm. When did he do? When did that happen? Were, were you born when he founded the ICA? <laughs> Just about. Yes. Just about. Um, was he it founded in, in, in the year that I was born, in 1947, oh. and it took off to a very shaky and amateur kind of start. It was sort of the equivalent to us getting together and doing something in the village hall, you know. Yeah. And from that it grew into what it is today. It's been mm. through some very difficult, some very unfortunate and negative periods. Now I feel that it's, uh, it's regained some of its old values and it's, um, it's popping along nicely and I'm so pleased mm. it still exists. Yes, no, it's it's a, an amazing institution and something that we should all support. And I'm always looking around at those kind of things, um, you know, making sure that we keep the flying the flag for those kind of institutions. One of the things that um, 
I often talk about is the Artist Benevolent Fund, which is something that supports artists who, um, professional artists who fall on hard times. And I think that's another one of those organisations that has been around for a long time, but not many people know about. So, yeah, talking about these institutions, they're the underpinning of everything we do, really. So going back to um, Lee and the archive, um, what have you learned? What have you learned personally from that experience and managing and developing and growing the archive and growing our all of our awareness of the amazing work that Lee did? What have you personally learned, do you think? Gosh, it's hard to, hard to evaluate because That's I'm more concerned one. about what I don't know than what I do know. Uh, what it's done, you know, photographically, it's given me, um, you know, it's given me an insight into conservation of photography. It's given me an insight into photography itself and what people do to bring back the pictures that are really important to us. It's given me a chunk of history. I mean, would I have ever dug into Paris in the 30s, the Second World War, Egypt in the 30s? Would I have done into, dug into fashion in the United States in, 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 in a, you know, in 19, uh, 1929 and that kind of thing? No, of course I wouldn't. I wouldn't have gone anywhere near it. But this has kind of like taken me by the hand and led me into areas which I would never, ever, ever have considered looking at. And suddenly I find I have extraordinary affinities with, yeah, of course, with the art. I don't suppose I would have ever have become as impassioned as I am about the Holocaust as I have done as a result of studying it in the depth that, that I have. Mm. And uh, uh, it's almost like Lee was leaving something genetic there for me in my, in my DNA that yes, I would respond to that with the same outrage that she has. Mm. And I would want to make sure that I did whatever I could to determine that this sort of thing should never happen again. And and, and that's that's the sort of like burning passion that is, is still with me today. You know, peace, freedom, justice, those things that she held so, so strongly. And you recently showed her work in Berlin, didn't you? Yes. Well, do you know, the most incredible thing is how wonderfully receptive present-day German people are to their own history. Mm. Um, and we meet all kinds of very exciting historians, artists, and so on, who really want to take the lesson from it and say, yes, we, we must be aware. We, and, and of course, you know, the kind of people that I meet are very well aware of the rise of the far right and that kind of stuff at the moment. And they want to be sure that at every opportunity there's something countering that and something really hoping to wake people's ideas up and see what can happen if these things go uncountered, unobjected to. I'm just adding a question that's been put in the sidebar. I'm just adding it into here so that we don't forget it. So I just added that question um, for someone that they just popped into the sidebar. That's why I was slightly looking off to the right there. Yes. So what you had that and you, you know, and I, and I agree because, you know, I, I've been to Berlin myself and, you know, and I've stayed in um, people's houses and um, artists houses with them. And, you know, they've, 
taking me around and, and they've taken me to the um to the various um memorials um to that time and they are very very receptive to the you know being mm. humble um about uh, that part part of their history do you plan to do anything else in germany or elsewhere just you know really focusing on that aspect in the future have you got plans for that speaking of plans plans well, for that in the future what what happens with the material is rather than do a exhibition or, or something specifically focused on the Holocaust, mm. we take that material and weave it into the generality of Lee's work. Mm. And I think in a way that makes it more powerful. And certainly I've been in so many exhibitions where we've presented, you know, the pre-war material, the art and the fashion, everything else like that. And then suddenly you come around a corner and there's people confronted with the wartime pictures and I'm not only talking about the Holocaust the the, the blitz and the conflicts you know, the battles that she photographed and so on suddenly there's a change in atmosphere in the in the gallery in that space in that moment and it really makes people appreciate Lee and the things that she went through and suffered and came out the other side of it also makes them appreciate the beauty and the lyricism of everything that's either side of that sequence. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the best ways of making a point is by contrast. And Absolutely. she certainly does that for us. Mm. She, she contextualizes it, doesn't she? Yeah. And um, that's the most amazing thing, especially as a curator. I know I'm always trying to tell um, a story and to um, evoke an emotion in people you don't want to make something that's bland that people go yeah that was okay um it's <laughs> just the worst thing when like people go you go how did you how did you find that they go yeah it was all right and they yeah. walk out you're like oh i didn't do a good job there you're trying to tell yeah. a story Failed. and you're trying to also have a have a little effect on their um especially and i know you do this and i, I do as well is having a little impact on their mindset just have a little tweak mm. of their of their conditioning to just see things maybe from a different perspective next time when they're um find themselves in a situation it's like okay oh i've had that experience now now i know there is another way of looking at things and that's something as a curator that you know i i seek to do as well and i've been in exhibitions that um of Lee's work and, and definitely found um, that I find them incredibly moving, incredibly um, life changing. So we've talked a lot about um, Lee and the archive and showing the work. Um, Farley Farmhouse, which is where you are, are you are you in the, there now? Is that where you're recording from? No, I'm actually recording yeah. from my own home, which is just up the road, and the walls are painted the same colour as... I recognise it, that's why I yeah. thought it was... Uh, uh, and and uh, that there is a painting by Roland. Yes. Um, so, yes, uh, this was a house on the farm, and my dad uh, renovated it way before I was married. And, uh, and so I, I love the colours that he used so much that we've just kept them, and so... Yeah, when I was looking me. at the background, I thought, oh, you must be in the house because I recognise the colour and obviously the style of painting and everything. Yeah, the, um, I don't know whether you can turn your camera slightly so we can get a better look at that 
the painting. Oh, there you are. Look at that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, can you see it better? It's, yeah, uh, that's I can't right. move the computer very much. No, no, but that's but right. The, we, got a, we, the, we were having the, a the painting, It's a picture of a sailor uh, surprising a young woman, and he's just coming ashore in, a, in a, a little boat that is very much like Roland would have been seeing when he was living in Cassis du Mer in the south of France. And uh, and she's saying, oh, my goodness, you did startle me. <laughs> and uh, a lot of his paintings from that moment are about departures and arrivals. Um, and, of course, he was an expatriate. And so I think being, uh, you know, being on the move and traveling and leaving and arriving was uh, was very much part of his life. And so there she's. That's, uh, char that's charming. So yeah. you when, at what point did you open the um, Farley Farmhouse to the public. Talk to us a little bit about that. Well, it came more or less by accident again, you see. Um, I mean, I'm, I have to keep saying this because you, you, I don't want to give you the impression that I've sat down with a master plan and a huge checklist and so on, but really, I think what's what's happened, the skill of my family is recognizing opportunities and responding to them appropriately. We don't have the clout to sit in Chitting Lai and say, okay, we're going to have a show in a major major um, museum somewhere. Uh, we have to be a bit more stealthy than that. We have to steadily and slowly develop things. And hopefully we make the right contacts and hopefully bigger things happen. And it's very often sometimes the slenderest of chances that have landed up with the, the really big shows that we've had. Um, but sitting yes. in Farley's, it was another chance like this that, that happened, which was that we held a wedding, a venue. We don't do this anymore, but this was a lovely, lovely, important friend of ours. And she got married at Farley's. And one of the guests was actually the editor on the magazine World of Interiors. And she said, could we do a feature on this place? And Susanna and I said, well, no, because we wanted to keep it secret because we were worried about the security aspect of it. If suddenly really people realize that, you know, we're sitting on all of this modern art, we might get done over. Mm. And so eventually we thought, okay, well, let's give it a whirl. And we, we, uh, they did the feature and it came out front cover, many pages of luscious <laughs> pictures. And then we had not anticipated this at all. This is where Amy and I are very different because she can anticipate. My, Amy's my daughter, my yeah. co-director. She can anticipate this sort of stuff much better than I can. Um, anyway, what happened then was that suddenly we got people ringing up saying, can we come around? We hadn't a clue how to manage visitors to the house. It was just a quiet sort of archive where we were sleepily bumbling along, minding our own business, doing these shows and books. We had no way of knowing how to open to the public. But luckily, we had friends at Charleston Farmhouse who were running the place. Mm. And they came over and they said, whatever you do, don't do that. Now you do it like this and you do it like that. And they kind of gave us a tutorial on how to work it. And this was 2000. We had to close in 2001 because we led just about everything to a major exhibition in Edinburgh. 2002, we took off again, and we've been going ever since, gently and slowly expanding every year. Um, I think 
that's the best way of anything um, and yeah. that's what I advocate when I'm dealing with the artists one-to-one and when I'm doing the the trainings and the workshops and everything mm. I always start with nothing worth having happens quickly you have well. to put in the solid groundwork and the other classic is you need your friends Oh, gosh, yes. You gosh, need yes. your I friends. Mean, our whole thing has been so indebted to the web of contacts that we've made. Mm. And there's this wonderful thing. I'm sure you find it in the art world. I'm sure everybody in the art world finds it. I remember it very much as a filmmaker. There's this tremendous camaraderie of people helping each other, sometimes even to their own detriment. Mm. Um, but they will. And that's what, that's what is so empowering. And it it's enabled us to do some of the most extraordinarily exciting things that we've ever achieved. Network is everything. Yeah. And, and being having integrity in your network. You can't just take. You can't oh, just no. constantly say, look at me, look at me, look at me. Mm. You have it is um the absolute classic of the laws of abundance. You have to give, and the yeah. more you give, the more you will get back. The more Indeed. you try and help others the more others will help you. And this is an absolute paramount lesson that all, everybody in the, on the planet should learn, but especially in the creative environment, um, that we all have to support each other. And sometimes you give to one person, and you don't get back from that person, but you will get it back from somebody else. And understanding that you don't give in order to receive, you give because that's, the, that's what you want to do. You invest in the good of all. And, eventually this will come back to you from another way and your journey um with developing the farmhouse and developing the archive i think is a classic um representation of that you didn't have a big idea as such it evolved organically but beautifully organically because you're such a man of integrity and you're okay. such a man of gentle good nature that people can't fail to be drawn to you and want to support you because you have you're oozing that integrity and that um yeah well that's that's very kind of you to say that but don't for imagine think that it's entirely down to me because first of all i had suzanne i, I do know and yeah. then um for just about 20 years now i've had amy mm. uh, and and she is she's so complimentary to me in the sense that she mm. has very very good business skills and all of that kind of stuff which is not my strong point uh she's also very creative and so i was going to come know, on to um amy now yeah. because she's just done the cookbook hasn't she that's right yes yeah yes. charming i love that idea i love that the surrealist cookbook well it took 10 years to make that of research of defeats of reversals of everything that could go wrong did go wrong and in the end she got it and it was a, it's been an amazing success it won the gold medal for the international independent publishers award in, in in the united states and i just think that's so amazing what i love is you talking about the food that lee used to give you when you were a child like the blue stuff <laughs> <laughs> blue food <laughs> yeah blue spaghetti and that kind blue of stuff spaghetti. yeah yeah i can imagine my children's horror i have trouble getting them to eat carrots and onions so i can imagine if i gave them blue spaghetti that literally well, try, try them on on bird's nest soup i might I don't, don't know if you saw this on instagram but um they made 
you know, I was asking this guy, Wells Coates, he was an expert on Chinese food, what are they eating in China? And he said, bird's nest soup. So I said, yeah, well, can we have some? So they went off and got some hay and made a bird's nest, and then they put it in a big pot with consomme, and then they whittled up little eggs out of carrots and put them in so it was like a bird's nest with eggs in it. And <clears throat> I was I was like about sort of eight or ten, and I was so upset because I thought they'd robbed a real bird's nest. Yeah. Somewhere out there there was a bird with orange eggs, you know. <laughs> I better not do that for Charlie because you know how much he adores his animals. Yeah. Uh, in all sorts of trouble he would genuinely think that I, <laughs> I but you can make a much nicer one with those uh, little uh, dry noodles you know come in a yes. little kind of bird's nest anyway and then you just put the, the eggs in the top hello what's yes. that yes he's still there, there we go. i'm still right. here i'm still here so i think what we'll do is we'll go on to some questions now because people have got lots of questions so anyone who's got more questions then just drop them into the, the ask questions at the bottom of the screen and I'll ask them to Anthony. So we'll, we'll just ask some questions now of, um, and I'll go just from the top. So the first one is from Julia Desch and it's, hello, Anthony, lovely to be with you again. If you were making a bucket list for yourself now, what would you put on it? Gosh, it'd have to be a big bucket. Um. <laughs> A very big bucket without a hole in it. Yeah, well, in terms of travel, and you see, this is tricky because so many of the places that I want to go are denied to us now because of terrorist activity or something. But I really want to get back into the western desert of Egypt and find one place that we couldn't find when we were researching there in 2009 which was the position that Lee photographed the famous portrait of space image from. Yes. And, you know, so that's just one yes. thing. I want to go find that. Mm. Um, it's going to be difficult because the whole topography changes every time the wind blows and the sand dunes shift. But, we'll, you know, I'm sure we can find it somewhere. So that's definitely on your bucket list. Is there anything yeah. else that's on your bucket list? Um, yeah. I want to rewild large parts of this farm. Oh, plant, Julia is going to love hundreds, you. Hundreds and hundreds of trees. Um, I'm very inspired by uh, Nep Castle and what they're doing. And at the moment, uh, my wife Ros and I, we are working slowly on a plan which will more than double if not treble our woodland area and put the soil the water the atmosphere back into the kind of shape it should be which was very much the kind of shape that we see it now and i can walk out there and i can go for a whole day and not see one airplane i can go for a whole day and the a22 is still and i just see how the wildlife, the birds and everything have really celebrated this last two months. And I just want to, you know, to carry on with giving them an opportunity to to flourish. And, you know, and if I can Boris do that, Johnson, then that'll be maybe good. Maybe give him a quick bell and tell him to <laughs> keep lockdown. Do you know Boris? Maybe give him a quick ring and <laughs> say leave uh, the lockdown for longer. <laughs> no, I don't know Boris. <laughs> 
<laughs> I can't imagine he's on your friend list, neither is yeah. he on mine. Um, Julia will love that because Julia is working. So Julia, who asked the question, Julia Desh, is working on the wildflower verges and is um, working on that project for big parts of East Sussex. She will love the notion that that's on your bucket list. Yeah, um, okay. So. Um, I'll click that as answered. So the next one, um, I'm not sure who it's from, um, is you had an interest in childhood. Were any of the people around at that time, your mentors played a sign significant part in your life? Oh, lots of them in different ways. Um, I mean, one of, uh, I mean, Man Ray was, was wonderful. Um, I liked the guys that made objects, that made things out of things. So Picasso and Miro and Max Ernst to a degree were, were fantastic. They could take something that you might walk past every day and they would move it and they would twist it around, maybe make a minor alteration to it and then suddenly it would come alive as a little creature or as a person or as a something. And I, That was magical and I've always sought to try and do that in my own work. Mm. So um, I mean, no, nobody mentored me in the sense that they sat beside me and said, this is what you've got to do. It was quite sufficient that they just gave me a real jolt of inspiration at regular intervals. I know Picasso was a big influence on your life. Well, yes, he was, both as a person and as an artist. And I mean, as an artist, he goes on doing that, and I never tire of his work, and I can always find new things, new innovations, new wonders in it. And as a person, um, I just enjoyed him very much. I enjoyed his strength and his modesty and the way that, yeah, he was probably the richest artist in the world, but it didn't matter. It didn't matter a bit. He just lived very to modestly. Tell us that little story about you biting Picasso gone. For all those who haven't heard it. Just oh, I'm little... sure everybody's heard that. Right <laughs> Go on. Just so, give us a little, a little glimpse of that story because some people... Monumentally won't... bad behaviour. <laughs> uh, we were ragging about at home and uh, he was great. He was very tactile, great on the hugs and the cuddles and so on. And um, things got out of hand. I was supposed to be the bull. I was supposed to run at him with my, my horns on and charge across the room and knock him over. And he was so agile, he'd jump out of the way at the last minute and I would go splat into the wall. And I got very fed up with going splat into the wall. So I thought, now this was the moment. This is, I had an objective and I had a plan. And so my plan was that I stopped and I waited until he wasn't looking. And then I crept up and I bit him. Now, where the plan became unraveled was that he bit me back and he bit me right back quite hard. And just a split second before I started to yell, my mum heard him say, Tiens, that's the first Englishman I have ever bitten. And so, you know, that's my distinction. <laughs> and what did Lee have to say about that? Oh, she figured that I had it coming. You know, <laughs> if I was bad enough behaved to bite somebody, I should expect to be bitten back. Bitten back. That was the, I, I do remember that being the convention when my children were growing up as well. I don't yeah. use anymore, but it's like if they bite someone, bite them back and yeah. uh, they'll, they'll stop doing it then. <laughs> they will. So the next question is from our lovely Griselda. 
Oh, hi, Griselda. Hi, Griselda. Should we have sound and vision or is it just a typing meeting? Ah, oh, Griselda. So, no, you should be able to see us on the screen. Um, so I'm going to respond down in, in case she still can't see us and respond down in the screen saying um, uh, you should be able to see us. You may need to change browser to Chrome or watch on Facebook live there we go that's answered that question <laughs> Sorry, if you've not been able to see us um okay the next one is the one that was in the sidebar from peter who runs the new gallery in seaford and he's hoping to open another gallery in eastbourne shortly do you now see lee as your mother or as lee well thank you peter that's a very interesting question and um um What's happened there is that I never really saw her as my mother when I was a young person. Um, I was brought up by my nanny, who was called Patsy, and she was very generous and loving. Um, and I never saw this rather irascible, tall, um, very uh, kind of uh, unexpected sort of person as my mum. Mm. But what has happened is over the years, that she's like divided into two people. There is one who is called Lee Miller and she's out there and she in a way makes her makes her way through the world uh, and she's known and, uh, and valued by a great many people. Uh, and this is important to me. And it's like I, I don't own her. I don't have a connection with her. I have a, a, a loyalty to her to make sure that her story is told accurately. But my link comes to this person who I have discovered as my mum. And that is a very private link. And it's just one that is a kind of feeling link between me and her that has arisen posthumously after she's been dead. Is it sure as certainly certainly wasn't there when she was alive? We were much too embattled and embittered. But I found her. You know, there's a Californian saying, it's never too late to have a happy childhood. No, <laughs> <laughs> no that's um, um, something that I think we all, we can all, we can all write the past, um, definitely. We can all fix it for ourselves and go back and just re-look re at it in a different way. You've just taken a different perspective on that now with the new knowledge that you know, because we're all just doing the best we can. She was doing the best she could. It just wasn't having a particularly great out, outcome on you as a child. Actually, mm. what she's done for you as an adult, do you see that as repaying some of that? Do you feel that? Oh, my God, yes. She has given me the most amazing gift. Yeah. You know, I travel all over the world. I meet amazing people. I go to places that I could never have dreamed of going before. Mm. And, uh, yeah, it's the most fantastic life. Mm. So that gift is is invaluable. Hmm. Mm. It is. So let's have a look at. That. I see Griselda's question has popped up. Oh, can you see? Yeah. So, um, question is: Did either of your parents encourage you to make art? Be created. If so, how? What led you to filmmaking? That's a long question, Griselda. I think that's three questions. <laughs> no, it's a very good question. Uh, <laughs> my my both my parents were quite encouraging. 
But it was difficult because my dad could draw so beautifully and he'd say, come on, let's draw a picture. And uh, I would sort of do some sort of horrible, messy thing. And he would, I'd say, come on, you have a go. And he would make this drawing that was so exciting and so perfect. And, you know, I would look at it and think no contest and it discouraged me. And that was the last thing he wanted to happen, but that's how it was. My mum was more successful. Um, she started me off in photography. Uh, we were actually in what was then called Rhodesia, Southern Rhodesia, and uh, for a conference on African art. And she was taken ill, and she was supposed to photograph for Vogue while she was there, but she was too ill. So she gave me the camera and said, the enduring piece of advice which I pass on to anybody else that handles one of my cameras, which is, if you drop it, I'll break your neck. <laughs> and um, and just set me loose with a few instructions. And that was the beginning, and I loved picture taking. And so because I'm dyslexic, when I was a kid, films were very, very important. And that was a fascination for filmmaking. And then various of my friends became filmmakers, and I thought, well, I'll give this a go. And one way or another, I got involved. Uh, and I made documentaries about, oh, about animals, horses, things to do with agriculture. And then I made a small couple of features that went in the cinema as B-movies. And then I did Lives of Lee Miller for Channel 4. And I've now gotten back into making films on video in a very small way, you know, sort of little eight minutes for the gallery and that kind of stuff. And I rather enjoy that. And I tell you what, it's a lot cheaper working on video than it was on cellular. I'm loving the whole um, film thing. And um, this platform that we're using, Crowdcast, enables us to download the films, which is great because then we can upload them and have them permanently available for people to look at anytime they want on the website. So if you go onto Pure Arts Group website, all of these films are on the watch area um, and they will be and we'll just keep adding to the archive. Um, and I think we'll probably keep going after the lockdown is over. We probably won't be doing it every week because that will, once we get back into normal life and um, I'm curating exhibitions and hopefully doing a PhD and um, <laughs> um, and getting on with, you know, all the other um, extraneous things I have to go and do that aren't letting me spend so much time at home. Um, I won't have the time I probably to be able to do it every week at one o'clock, but I'll definitely do it once a month once the lockdown's over so that we keep having um, this archive footage of us chatting and understanding, you know, making a record, a permanent record. And I love that. I love this medium. I am someone who has forever in my entire life hated having my photograph taken. I hate it with a passion. So the fact that I'm sitting on here live for seven weeks so far, having to literally watch myself has been an amazing um show of resilience and I would say to anyone if I can do it anyone can do it because I would literally stand there with my hand in front of my face if someone tried to take a photograph of me I literally hated it so we've got a question from Annie Catford now do you know Annie I think you're well we're friends on Facebook yeah I'm gonna see if Annie wants to come up on screen and ask her question herself she might decline me let's see what she says I've invited you up on screen, Annie, to ask your question yourself. Let's see whether she pops up. 
she might and in the meantime i'm going to ask you another question and this question is from angela lopez and it's why do you think your mother didn't want you to know the great things she had achieved and accomplished as an artist and a mother i love to shout about my extensive travels and the things i'm talking about to my kids that's from gp well thank you that is a good question um lee was a habitual keeper of secrets and this i think came from when she was raped as a child and infected with venereal disease she had to keep that as a secret as a seven-year-old she would have been you know socially damned and outcast because they always succeeded in blaming the victim in these cases so yeah it's um it, it, it was, she was secretive by nature but also for her the past was not very interesting she was more interested in in the present in the future and so she didn't want to visit her past i did understand that she'd taken a lot of pictures and you know in the in, in the last few months before she died i said you know would you would you let me have a look at these images and she said well there's nothing left now because it was all destroyed in the war or it was lost when i left paris and he she said then and you should never spend time working with another artist's material because it's detrimental to your own creativity and i wondered if she was thinking about how my dad had given away so much of his life by promoting other artists or whether perhaps she by working with and promoting man ray in the early days had actually lost opportunities of her own but certainly it was one piece of advice i'm very glad i didn't take from her. yes and i think that i mean that piece of advice is something that we would not give it's like you know work with many collaborate um, mm. There's nothing new it's just your in interpretation we we yeah. are trading in um emotion and our personal interpretation um an emotional response to situations so everything we create is a new interpretation and so therefore looking and working with others is a great source of inspiration and motivation so we have the wonderful annie capford on the screen hi annie <laughs> So would you like to go ahead and ask your question? I've got any headphones. Can That's you hear all right. me? We can hear you. Yeah, we did, can. Anthony, did you ever actively rebel against either of your parents? Constantly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the thing, the thing about Lee and about my father was that they're both inherent rebels, that conforming was possibly you know the last thing in the world that either of them wanted to do so it was it was kind of like bred into me to rebel and i think probably the lesson that i've had to learn most seriously is to choose my rebellions carefully <laughs> because a rebellion can just be a knee-jerk reflex no i'm not going to not going to do that because you told me to i think if it's I'm not going to do that because I don't believe in it or I don't want to do it. That is a far better and stronger statement. So I think, you know, the old adage, choose your battles is probably the most important thing to apply to being a rebel. 
And that comes, that question comes to us from the quintessential rebel that is Annie Catford. Um, do you have anything else you would like to add to that, Annie? No, this has been most enjoyable and enlightening. <laughs> the well, film that I did see on TV the other night, absolutely wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. That's great. So I'm going to remove you from the screen now, Annie. But thank you so much. Yeah, Annie. thanks, Annie. Bye. Nice to see you. And we have, um, I think we have two more questions. Um, oh, so the second one was from Annie. She's gone now. I'll ask it for her. Is do you still have ownership of Lee and Roland's archive or is it linked with the museum archive? Um, it's quite complicated in the fact that the, uh, the Lee Miller archive is owned by a family trust, um, which is a, a, a good thing. Um, and also the Roland Penrose archive is, uh, is actually owned. Is the Roland's books and papers and so on, I sold to the Scottish National Gallery of Modern Art in Edinburgh. And that gave me the money to develop the Lee Miller archive because I suddenly found I had two archives and I couldn't have the resources, didn't have the resources to go with both of them. So, you so we sold Roland's books and papers to Edinburgh. Um, that actually means that the whole responsibility is devolved onto them and they have a constant stream of researchers and people going to see that material, which I couldn't have accommodated here in Sussex. Um, and they, they handle it beautifully. It's very, very well done. Um, and then, you know, that gave us the opportunity, that gave us the funds to build the Lee Miller Archive into what it has become today. So again, another plan, another strategic plan that you... Did yeah, you well, I, I never quite saw it as, as planning because I didn't sit down and imagine all of this stuff. It was really, as I said earlier, it was responding to opportunities that, that spontaneously arose. Absolutely. So that's, um, so hopefully that answers your question, Annie. Now we have one more from um, Peter here and on, I'm going to see whether I can invite Peter up on the screen. So this is Peter who asked a question earlier and he has another question about the TV programme. So we'll see whether Peter comes up on the screen um, and he can ask his question himself. So I just, I can see on Facebook Live that my Auntie Sue is watching us, who um, <laughs> is in Holland. And she's oh. one of the key um, women, formidable women in my past. So hi, Auntie Sue. And oh, she hi, is Sue. I, I want you to watch the Boyman's Museum in probably 2022 because there's going to be a big Lee Miller show there. Wow. So I'll come and stay with you and we can go and have a look at it. So my yeah. auntie just became a grandmother again um, last week to my cousin who had a new baby boy called Tim. And wow. we're all absolutely delighted. And um, and I'm very happy that my aunt's watching because she is one of the women, the significant women in my past that have meant that I now sit here doing what I'm doing now. So, um, yeah. Um, it's great that she's watching. So, uh, Peter, are you, are you, yeah, he's accepting and connecting. So he should arrive on our screen any, any minute. And in the picture that you just saw behind me, my husband has just walked back into the room. So you, Paul, <laughs> Paul will come and say hello in a minute because um, we're coming to the end of this. Uh, Leslie, I have to say that about another 10 minutes and I have to go to. Yes. So we're coming to the end. We're, at, um, we're nearly coming to the hour, end of the hour. So the last question will be from Peter. If he arrives on the screen, 
If he doesn't arrive on the screen in a minute or so, then I will ask his question for him and then we'll be wrapping up because we try and stick to an hour on these uh, broadcasts because I think that's, um, uh, it's timed out. Okay, I'll ask your question for you, uh, Peter. So um, he says, I saw a TV program many years ago about a man that found many photos of his mother. Um, one was a profile as a young woman. He turned it into a negative and put that negative over a painting by Picasso of his mother and the outline matched Picasso. I'm sure it was Anthony. Does well, that I think any... it probably was. That was one of our early discoveries, which was that um, to take that particular image that Peter remembers and actually draw the profile around it on an acetate, and then that fitted exactly over the profile of Lee's painting, uh, the, the portrait of Lee Miller by Picasso. And, you know, that's, that's something that actually... Uh, entertains uh, everybody from art historians to just general regular guys because people say what Picasso you know paints two side two eyes on the side of somebody's face and things like that yeah well actually there's a striking resemblance here check this and uh, yes you can't argue with the accuracy that he got her profile well this has been just the most wonderful hour of my life another oh, one hour spent talking to you Anthony and I always learned so much and I always found it so fascinating to hear um, about your life and the, the and the lives of Lee and Roland as well so thank you so much for doing well, us thank, thank you and thank you for to everybody who's joined us on Facebook and sent in questions and and, yeah. and has been listening and uh, yeah, yeah it's lovely to meet you like this I know it is <laughs> It's, isn't it amazing that through the power of technology we're able to do this and we'll be, be able to cheer up quite a, you know keep people interested and motivated um during this time because our mental yeah. health is just the most important thing during um time unusual times um just to say goodbye from ted who's been my constant companion Hello, ted. Uh, he gets hairier every week every yes, week he gets i think he's hairier. clearly not having his hair done lately Russian, but he's really getting quite uh, hairy now um, so thank you so much um, I will post up on the blog and we will obviously put this up on the watch site um, on the watch menu on the pure arts group site and you can come back at any time into this crowdcast and, um, and, and you're always when, when we open at file is always very welcome and and, yeah. and do make yourself known because if I'm there I'd be glad to come and greet you yeah, go and say you saw Anthony on the crowdcast um with leslie and um saying hi and that i have to say go if you can i mean it's mainly only open on sundays when you are open yeah yes yeah. sundays and we were <laughs> we were all set up this year to open on thursday as well and look what happened yeah well yeah, there so you go yeah, Sundays and hopefully Thursdays. Uh, I hmm. can't recommend it enough. The, the art collection is just awesome. Awesome. Oh, even Ted agrees. Yes. Yeah, he reckons that's true. Yes. <laughs> okay. So thank you so much. We're going to go now. Thank you so much, Anthony. Thank you, everyone, for watching. Thank you for your amazing questions. That has been just the most wonderful um, hour. And next week, um, my guest is the amazing Maxine Laceby from Absolute Collagen. So hopefully you'll all join us again next week and we'll have another chat. She's going to talk about stepping into your own skin at the age of 50. So quite a different conversation. <laughs> She's great. I've heard her speak, yeah. 
was it? She, she was on an event that um, Auntie and I, and I were at about this time last year called Trailblazers. And she's a very powerful speaker. So, yeah, join us then. But thank you, Anthony. And it's been really lovely. And I really enjoyed seeing that picture as well. Spending an hour looking, gazing at Roland's painting. <laughs> yeah, good. <laughs> Thank you. So thank you very much, everyone. And I'll speak to you very soon. All right. Take thank care. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. Bye.